How many of you have ever played with uh, airsoft weaponry? Raise them high. Okay. All right, put them back down. Um, any, anybody have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, Deborah. Um, <laughs> an airsoft gun is, is a wonderful, wonderful invention. That is uh, less expensive than paintball, um, less painful than paintball, but still allows you to do what every guy ultimately is, is born wanting to do, and that is shoot each other um, with, with very little consequence. Um, and so, you know, being a student pastor for so many years, um, I was obligated by my profession to invest in the in the, uh, the world of airsoft guns. And so the students that I worked with um, loved playing airsoft. Of course, you're always supposed to wear goggles. Um, and I love it too, because I'm a guy. And so um, what else was I going to do, right? <laughs> so I ended up buying a bunch, a bunch of these airsoft guns. And um, we'd have these battles with students. And um, uh, one time I thought, you know what? I caught wind that this one student He's a middle schooler. He was having a birthday party, having all of his all of his friends over. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to call up a couple of my buddies, and I'm going to I'm going to ambush this birthday party of, of boys. And uh, you know, I knew the parents, and so I was like, just to be sure, you know, I want I want to I want to do a safe ambush. And so I, I called the mom, and I was like, this is my idea. Can I show up with some guys and like shoot them all up? And she's like. Awesome, do it. And so um, this kid had an older brother who was a high schooler, and uh, they lived in a house that was elevated, you know, like a Charleston home, you know, it was elevated, so the whole downstairs was this garage. There was like 15 kids at this party. So I, I called up this high schooler, and I was like, listen, somehow you got to get all the boys to run downstairs underneath the house, and I'm going to be there with three or four of my buddies, like, locked, cocked, ready to rock, you know? Um, and so he's like, awesome. And so they're all playing upstairs, and, and he comes up with this bogus story that, like, there's raccoons downstairs eating the dog food, and they got to run downstairs. So all the middle school boys are like, yeah, let's get them! And so, you know, they come, they come storming down the staircase, and, uh, I mean, we were like, none of us had military training, but, I mean, we had the corners, you know, right in the, right in the center was the staircase. And so, like, like this big, you know, cloud of bees, they just exploded out of the bottom of the staircase. And unbeknownst to me, you know, it was a group of boys, they were wrestling. And uh, upstairs, half of them were shirtless, okay? And, uh, and so they come running down looking for these uh, raccoons, and we're just like, <laughs> and you know these kids are just kind of going ah, and, uh, and they all start peeling off in the other direction and they all like come back up and then like start running back up the staircase and um, the, the older brother shuts the door and locks it <laughs> of course you know they had been playing airsoft themselves for the course of this day and um and so they had guns upstairs, and so they, they eventually got back in the house and grabbed their gear, and of course, were so excited to like start the war with me and my friends, you know. So we're all everywhere, and, and it started this like ambush a thon with the youth group boys and me. 
And so they're like, they would get dropped off in Bell Hall and like try to attack my house. And so, you know, I was a single guy, so I had roommates. And so we had airsoft guns stashed under the couches, <laughs> in the cabinets. Like I had them in the bedroom. I mean, just everywhere. And uh, they would get into the house, you know. So we had this protocol of like locking the doors, you know, and we'd taken certain uh, screens off the windows and upstairs so you know you got the advantage you know and so these kids are running around the police got called once you know because kids are running around with guns and you know this was crazy and so um neighbors you know <laughs> as long as we didn't shoot the cat right so my yard was covered in these pets <coughs> and the walls inside my house were all dinged up um and and at one point one of the moms said um, she actually asked if I would come ambush her kids at their Christmas party or uh, or some birthday party. And so they were off at somebody's property out in the woods, and um, they're like, "We're going to set up this story that uh, <laughs> so mean. They're gonna, we're going to set up this story with all the kids that uh, um, that there's a prison and that there's been a prison break." And, uh, you know, that, you know, it's everything's okay. You just got to be careful, you know? And so there's, there's another 10 or 15 kids at this party and there's, there's, there's a pool in this guy's backyard, but he lives out in the woods. And, um, and so I went over to this thing and I, for this ambush, I borrowed all the gear, you know? So I had the M16 strapped in my back, dual pistols, some shotgun and like ammo and all the pockets. I mean, I'm having a good time, you know, I'm not going to lie. Um, it's a rough job, you know? Um, and they get out there, and, the, and a couple of them that were a little bit more on edge were just kind of nervous. Like, is there really, like, escaped convicts around here? I'm like, well, yeah, it'll be okay. And so I had a mask on, um, and at one point, like, stormed out of the woods and shot up, you know, all these kids. And, the, and the, one of the moms was taking pictures. <laughs> and there's this just iconic pic. It's one of those, like fast pictures and actually caught like the bullets in the air and you see like the fast reaction boys and the slow reaction boys <laughs> because the fast reaction boys were like blurry and they're like this and then there's some that were like really close going <laughs> you know <laughs> like I don't know what to do and so I'm shooting them up you know and they all get their guns of course and chase me into the woods and I'm just firing until it's all it's all empty and uh fun fun memories um I don't think I yeah, do we have any airsoft guns in the house, Lauren? I think they might all be gone now. Era is passing. Guys, if you want to start it back up, you know, come on. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, um, Thank you, Danny. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, uh, it was pretty epic. Um, but, you know, I tell these stories to, to, to kind of make a silly point. Um, you could be decked out. And like I was when I ambushed these, these kids, like I was a, um, a, an escaped convict. Like I had the mask, had several weapons on me, had, had all the ammo. Um, everything was like within easy reach and, and, and attacking. Um, but it only works in the context of, of airsoft, right? Like really that's, that's if, you, if, if you go to battle uh, with all these middle school kids in the context of airsoft, then I was... I was ready and I was prepared and I, I had the advantage. If you make the transition to modern warfare, you know, over in Afghanistan or over in Iraq, and you go out there, locked, cocked, and ready to rock with all your airsoft weapons, then suddenly you switch from like awesome, epic, prepared to idiotic and, and foolish 
suicidal, um, sad, completely ineffective, and will contribute nothing to the cause of global freedom and the war on terror. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't translate. I mean, you could just be set up in the airsoft world, but it just, if you're, if you're going to go and actually fight a real battle, you know, like Lone Survivor, I saw that a couple weeks ago out there, and you're, and you're, and you're shooting the terrorists and the bad guys, like, it, it, it's just dumb. Like, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't translate, you know? What we're looking at here in Ephesians chapter 6 is, is a similar scenario. And what Paul is telling the Ephesians is that there is a spiritual battle going on. That, that we, we are at spiritual warfare. And if you have any hope, if you have any hope whatsoever to participate, to be involved at, at any measurable level, you have to fight the spiritual battle with spiritual weapons, wearing spiritual armor. If you don't, then you're going to be like an airsoft guy walking into a firefight, and, and you're just going to get slaughtered, is what he's saying here. And he's telling the Ephesians this because it's hard to see the spiritual world. By definition, it is almost unseen. We, we, we don't see angels and we don't see demons. Now, you might have some story that you heard from somebody one time. You may have had some sort of a bizarre experience. And I'm not going to discount that. Stuff kind of pops up here and there. And you, and you, and you may wonder, what was that or what, what did I see? But by and large, 99.999% of the time, this battle is invisible. And because it's invisible, it means that we just kind of lose sight of it and tend to try to fight or tend to try to live this life in a material way and not in a spiritual way. Fighting with material weapons and material efforts and not with spiritual weapons and spiritual armor. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Turn there, please. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you, may, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Period. I always, I always want to caution about over-spiritualizing stuff that doesn't need to be over-spiritualized. Does that make sense? And it's interesting. We, we've been working through Ephesians here, and Buster is speaking about spiritual warfare, and I believe he's using the same text. Um, and I'm excited to hear what, what he has to say about this. And Buster talked last week in the sermon about how we have to be careful um, making sure that we're not saying, oh, the spiritual world you know, doesn't exist. Um, and the opposite end of that spectrum is saying, oh, there's a demon behind every bush. It, it, there's a healthy place to be in the middle. But you read a text like this, and it says, verse 10, be strong in the Lord. All, right? All the power here is in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. It's a command to believers. Into the strength of his might. All right? So have the strength of someone else. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 11. Put on the command, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand 
against the schemes of the devil, that the devil does have schemes, that the devil does have a plan, that there is an enemy effort out there in the spiritual world against you. Whether you're a believer or not, there is a plan against you. Specifically, there's a file right, in, the, in, the, in the devil's office that has your name on it. And we, we forget that. I forget that. A lot of times we just think it's this broad, vague, unnamed, dark effort that I just got to make sure that I'm staying clean from. You know what I mean? It's not what Paul is saying here. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning men and women. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but rather against rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Commentators agree that these four levels of the dark spiritual world is really a reference to rank in, in the spiritual world. That, again, it's not just an army, but there's, that there are rulers, that there are authorities, that there are ranks in the legions of demons that are out there that are working towards a concerted effort to accomplish the schemes of the devil. All right, so this isn't just talking about the rulers and the authorities, meaning Obamacare. <laughs> you know, this isn't talking about people that we disagree with or people in the culture who may uh, be fighting against Christianity. This is talking about spiritual, dark, demonic forces, things that we see sci-fi movies about, you know? But it's true, and it's real, and it's present. First John 1, excuse me, First John chapter 5 says this. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are from God, speaking of those that have become followers of Jesus Christ. We know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. When Lucifer rebelled against God in heaven and was cast out of heaven, he was cast to earth. A lot of times, the conception is, you know, he was cast out of heaven, and he was cast into hell. Well, he wasn't. Hell is designed to be a place where he will end up, but he's not there now, and nor are his demons. A lot of times, hell is, referred, is often seen through comics or imagery as, you know, uh, an apartment complex that the devil resides in, and you don't want to go there either, either when you die, but they like it there. No, they're not there yet, and in the final judgment... When they, when they are judged, they will be cast there and then into the lake of fire for all of eternity. But for now, they're on earth in the U.S. of A. You know? They're, they're in the, the, on the East Coast and the West Coast. They're in the, in the Western Hemisphere, in the Eastern Hemisphere, in the Southern, in the North. They're here. They're here. And this is where the battle is waging. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says... Um, Speaking of unbelievers, it says in their case, um, people who do not believe in the gospel, the God of this world, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel in the glory of Jesus. The God of this world. Again, 1 John 5, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, speaks of the prince of the power of the air which is a direct reference to Satan himself. It's, it's, it's real that the battle is going on here 
on this earth. Um, this makes for good conversation when you're having to spend the night in high school, doesn't it? You're talking about the spiritual world and occultic stuff and ooh, it's weird. How does that work? And there's a there's a a bizarre, which I think has a spiritual root, and fasc- fascination with it, infatuation, um, paranormal activity. You know, what is it? Paranormal activity four or five? Is that right now? Um, I don't watch that stuff. Somebody cautioned me a long time ago. When you watch that stuff, you're making light of that stuff. When you're making light of that stuff, you're opening yourself up to that stuff, and that stuff is real. I had a student in my ministry who was Latino. And he was dabbling in the occult. And he found himself once walking on the beach, and he came across a book on um, the occult, written in Spanish, his foreign language. He picked it up, opened up the cover, and it was addressed to him in Spanish. Gives me chills even telling the story. And you know what? I believe it. You know? I believe it. It's creepy. It's scary. Um, It's not to be dabbled with. But it's to be acknowledged recognized that there is a battle and that we are holding airsoft guns against it without the spiritual armor, without spiritual weaponry, that it must be combated in a spiritual way, which is what Paul is beginning to outline here to the believers in Ephesus in the first century. Um, The battle is a battle of the soul <laughs> is what it is. It, it's not just a battle um, for you to have uh, a dirty life. You know, the spiritual battle out there isn't just a, li- a battle to, to make you curse in your anger. It is a battle of eternal consequence, which when you look at the spiritual nature of what the gospel is, we begin to see the, the, the whole picture. That when Jesus Christ came to die on this earth, he came to, to give us spiritual life. You know, we have a physical, material life right now, but the gospel is all built on the premise that this is all about, ultimately, the spiritual. Uh, John chapter 3, in Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, he says this, John chapter 3, verse 5, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, somebody, is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This is not talking about baptism. All right. Once again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Meaning that we all are physical beings. We have a body that we can touch, and this body will die physically. But there's an element to us, our soul, that is eternal and will continue to be eternal. And that is what is at stake. That is the savable element of who we are. And Satan doesn't want us to live eternally in heaven. He is fighting and scheming and planning and scratching and clawing to keep us from the truth of the gospel. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, to keep us neutralized as we seek to live our life. And all of that is spiritual. In the same discussion that Jesus is having with Nicodemus, he says, um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish 
but will have eternal life. Shall not perish is not speaking about the physical. We, we know that. It is speaking about a, a, a spiritual, eternal death that will not happen to those whose souls have been won through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is not just talking here about just about the dark spiritual forces. But he's saying that your life is a spiritual battle. And we have the gospel to combat it. At the beginning of this text, again in Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God so that you can be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So it is souls that are at stake in the spiritual battle. Moving on, Paul goes in and really gives a pretty brief rundown of the spiritual armor. I mean, this is not a book that he has written about the spiritual armor. This is uh, verses 13 through 18, five, six verses. Um, and so he goes through them pretty quickly. What I want to do this morning is, is just go through them one by one and, and make a few comments on what this is really talking about in the context historically and what the spiritual connection is for those of us who are believers. So let's read chapter 6, verse 13 through 18. It says this, Therefore, meaning because we've established the fact that this is spiritual warfare going on, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We're going to stop there in the text. Um, starts off in verse 14 with the belt of truth. Now again, this would be uh, some history, but also some connection on what this means to put on spiritual armor. The belt of truth. The belt is something that a Roman soldier would use that would basically tie everything together. You know, we use a belt right now. It holds in my pants and it holds in my shirt. And you take you take the belt away and 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 you, you don't want that to happen. Okay, <laughs> the belt of truth is speaking here of the vital reality that we must claim that all of this going on is actually is actually real. There is a truth both in the gospel and there is a truth in the fact that there is spiritual warfare. And if we don't embrace both of those true realities, then everything else is going to fall out of place. The things are going to get out of order, and it's not going to be as firm and as tied up and as tight as it needs to be. The belt of truth. John 14, 6. Jesus is saying, I am the way and I am the truth. He says, I am the life. And no man can come to the Father, which means an eternity, an eternity spiritually, except through me being Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, he says, If you abide in my word, you will find the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is all we have. What do we have besides the truth? And all truth is God's truth. Verse 14, it continues on and says, uh, To put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Roman armor, as you probably know, the breastplate would sit here, and it was designed to uh, protect your vital organs. Unless there was a hole or a gap somewhere in your armor, and that was the danger zone. Um, Kevin Costner, uh, Prince of Thieves, anybody seen it? Robin Hood? Yeah. Come on, let me know. Okay, thank you. You know, there's this, this real uh, dramatic scene where he's in front of all the people that are living in the woods, and he's like, we can fight them. And they're like, no, they have swords, we can't do it. And he says, e even a boy can be taught to fight, can be taught to find the hole in any suit of armor, meaning that's where you go. And when we're seeking to live a righteous life, which is what this is speaking of here, the breastplate of righteousness, if there are holes in our righteousness, that is where the enemy will attack. That is where we will fall. I have known people, and it's terrible and it's tragic, who have been living good lives, clean lives, sharing the gospel with people, leading people to Christ, having position in the church. But lo and behold, they had a hole in their righteousness that nobody knew about until it got exposed that they were having an affair or that they were doing this or that they were stealing money. And it was like, what? But everything, like, how can, you, how can you argue with the fact that he was sharing the gospel, that he was encouraging my soul with spiritual truth, but yet that was happening as a whole. It was righteousness that ultimately kept Job firm in his faith with God. Even with all of the attacks of the devil, there weren't holes in his righteousness. Ultimately, it was the breastplate of righteousness in the analogy there that kept Jesus in the wilderness safe because he fought off the devil with truth. Verse 15, it says, As shoes on your feet put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. As shoes on your feet put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes to stand your ground. Um, if we look back in the text, in verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. It says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and after having done all, to stand firm. Verse 14, it says, Stand, therefore, hold your ground, hold your ground, hold your ground. And you need the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel to provide peace. If in your life and in your heart and your mind you do not have a spiritual level of peace, you will be ineffective. You will not be somebody who is going after it. There is a point in part of my testimony of, of coming to faith in Jesus Christ is when I went, I went through this phase of, of doubt and fear and insecurity of how can I know for certain that I'm a Christian. And, and I had been raised in the truth, and I knew all the Bible verses, and I believed that Jesus was the Son of God, and that he came and he died for my sins. Like I, like, I had all that down, but I didn't have peace. And you know what else I didn't have? Impact on anybody else, <laughs> you know? Because I'm sitting there worried myself. And, 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 when, it's, and when, it, when, when these verses talk about shoes in your feet, putting on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, it is standing firm in the gospel. And this is something that is spiritual. It's not just having the right verses, and it's not even just being able to share actual truth. 
But peace is something that happens in the soul. Peace is something that is spiritual. That's why people can go through madness in their life, chaos in their life, and tragedy in their life, and still have peace. And it doesn't make sense. The peace that passes understanding. We've all read these verses before. Only from a source outside of themselves, as this text started off, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, can we have peace in the gospel. And the gospel is that spiritual element that gives us the peace. And if we are not at peace, we will lose our footing. If we are not at peace, we'll, we'll begin to be moved back. A couple weeks ago when I played Ultimate Frisbee with, with all of y'all out there, one of the things I kept hearing was like, you know, that person has cleats. <laughs> you know, that team has cleats. You know, I keep slipping around. I can't, I, can't, I can't get my footing. And that's the idea here. Is people were saying, I am less effective at this game because I don't have the footing for it. That's what people were saying. And it's the same spiritual truth here. That peace is something that equals balance and security. And when you don't have peace, you can know all the right words, and you can know all the right verses, and you can even share your faith. But you're not going to be very effective without the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Band of Brothers. Of course, I love it. World War II. <laughs> um, how many of you have seen that? i like to know if... okay. Uh, there's a scene, maybe about the seventh episode, I, I forget, where um, I think it's Spears, if you've seen the movie. He's this, this gung-ho, manly man, you know, doesn't seem like he has any fear on the battlefront, even though people are dying all over him. Um, and there's this blonde guy, he plays a, a minor role, and he's cowering in a, in a foxhole. And bullets are, are firing everywhere, um, the enemy is winning. Um, you, see, you see bullet shells flying through the air, and they're falling, and he's holding his gun, doesn't have a hand, finger on the trigger, and he's just screaming in fear. You know, ah, like getting ready to die. And at some point, uh, Spears comes over and stands up and is looking down at him, and he says, what your problem is, is you think you're still living. He says, you need, you need to realize that you're dead, meaning that you're going to die in this war. And the sooner you can realize that, the sooner you'll be effective out here. And um, spiritually, we see illustrated through baptism that when we give our lives to Christ, what happens? We die to ourselves, Right? This is not my life anymore. This is not, it's not about me. I, I've given up. I, 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 have been, I have died with Christ and I have been raised to new life. Like Jesus told Nicodemus, you know, you, 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 you got to be born again. Meaning you die to yourself and you're born again. And when we look at ourselves and our lives in the spiritual sense that says, it's not my life then I can charge, you know, because it's not about this life. Those of you men in here that went to the Wild Game Banquet two years ago, we heard a story of the guy who actually fought in Mogadishu in the Battle of uh, Black Hawk Down, which is the movie now, and, and that's his story. He said that he came through that, people were dying in his Humvee, that he was wounded and he got back, and his superior officer said, you got to go back. And he's, in his mind, he said, I'm not making it. I'm, I'm, today's the day I will die. It's his story. But he was a Christian. And he had that moment where he said, the day of my death has been determined since before the day of my birth. 
and I am God's. And since I am God's, then I have nothing to fear. And he washed the blood out of his truck, jumped back in, and drove back into the battlefield. Peace. Peace. Moving on to verse 16. It says, The shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. A shield is something that is not fixed to your body. It is something that you have on your arm, and it moves around to meet the flaming darts of the devil wherever they may come. If they're in front, you put it in the front. You see they're coming from behind, you put it from behind. If it's from below, you put it down. It's always moving. That our faith has an application, and it must be applied to every element of our lives. It must, be, it must be applied to the big things in our lives, and our faith must be applied to the little things in our lives. And so often, we, we compartmentalize that. We see that our faith really only has to do with um, my eternal security and maybe whether I should go to the mission field or not, <laughs> or maybe big decisions like a sin issue that I'm trying to, trying to battle. But really, our faith has to do with every single thing in our life. And if we don't apply our faith to certain elements of our life, then those are areas the devil can really begin to, to, to plant his, his seeds and it can become holes in the armor and the breastplate of righteousness. I was not trying to make this little girl cry in, when she asked me if her cat was going to heaven. Um, and uh, I, I used to have this open... open uh, question answer with the student ministry over the years and like ask any question that you want about the Bible, about God, other religions. It's important to ask questions. You know, to some, to some kids, it was a legitimate, heartfelt, is my cat going to heaven? Um, and I was, I was trying to be gracious, you know, um, but uh it's easy to look at something simple, you know, and be like, that's silly, and that doesn't apply. But if you think about the heart and the mind of a, of a, of a growing child, you know, someone who's less mature, that is something that is valuable to that child. Um, and, the, and the gospel applies to that. That, you know what, God cares about the little things in life. That God cares about you. And he cares about the things that you care about. And that God came and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save your soul. And is your cat going to be in heaven? And I can say, Scripture says that there are going to be uh, other beings besides angels and, and, and humans in heaven. Um, that, that, that creation was created by God to bring glory and to worship him. Um, but that only humans have, have savable souls. That, you know, that God didn't die for the trees, but he died for you. You know, for, for you to live eternally in heaven with him. And that he cares. And that we have to look and see the result of the fall and sin and disease and death that has plagued this world, which, which, which glorifies and amplifies the need for the gospel. But that even in the small things in life, we can apply our faith. And if we don't, if we think surely this, you know, this doesn't merit my time and my effort to apply my faith to this little thing, um, then we're opening ourselves to the fiery, uh, flaming darts of the evil one. Verse seventeen: um, 
It says to put on the helmet of salvation. Um, there's a theologian named Albert Barnes who I reference with some of these different uh, pieces of armor. And he says that hope defends the soul as the helmet defends the head. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5.8 says, Let us be sober, meaning clear-minded, and put on for a helmet the hope of salvation. Let us be sober, clear-minded, and put on for a helmet the hope of salvation. Hope defends the soul as a helmet defends the head. Now, this hope that it's speaking of is not the, I'm having a birthday and I hope that I get a new game system. It is more like the hope of, I'm lost at sea, I'm clinging to a piece of driftwood, and there's no hope around me. I just see the horizon, and suddenly, there is a boat. And my spirits lift, and I say, there's hope. There once was no hope, but now there's hope. So it's not like, hmm, I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating, and I really hope this works out. No, I once was lost, but now I'm found. You know, I once was blind, but now I see the hope that protects the soul. The helmet of salvation, hope defends the soul as a helmet defends the head. Hope is motivating. Hope is joy-giving. Hope is future-looking. And hope is what helps us hold on, you know? If you're about to let go of that driftwood, the one thing that can make you hold on is the fact that you see hope coming in the form of a boat. And you know what? Oh, it just got tighter until the day of your salvation. Hope defends the soul as a helmet defends the head. And the last piece is the only offensive piece that Paul gives here in this passage. In verse 17, he speaks of the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. A sword is something that you swing, you stab, you cut, and that you, you, you go. You know, you're not just standing in place, but there's an enemy out there, and you are attacking him. And you're attacking him with the only offensive piece that you have. Once again, the truth is the only thing that we have. The truth is the only thing that we have to offer people. You know, everybody has an opinion. Um, everybody has you know, something that we call human reason. But we're flawed. We're talking about spiritual warfare here. And, and, and the spiritual world has affected our reason. Our reason is, is faulty. It could be influenced by any number of things. Even, even simple, actual, literal desires and wants that we have for sin, even as Christians. There are some things that you're like, you know what, I know that I shouldn't, but I just want that. You know, that, that's, that's why pornography is a problem. Because it's like, I just, I, I want that. That's why coveting is a problem, because I want that big house. That's why <laughs> security is a problem. Like, I, I, I want to have a more secure job. Or I want to have a bigger checking account. Or I, I want to have a meaningful relationship. Or I want to be committed through marriage for life for somebody so that I can, I can be over, I can be over that. And, 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 and there can be coveting that goes on. But what we, what this world has it's 6.5 billion opinions, you know? There's about 6.5 billion people in this world. And so what is an opinion? It's really ultimately nothing if it's not grounded in something more, in the offensive weapon that we have that is the truth of the gospel. What is human reason? It's flawed. I heard a man say once that there are, there are two 
questions that are the most important questions in, in all of the universe that, that anybody of any faith needs to answer. Number one, is there a God? Question number one, is there a God? If that answer is yes, if you determine whether you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Christian or you just don't know, be like, yeah, I do think that there is a God. The second most important question in all the world is, has he spoken? Can you know what that God has told you to do? Yes. Here. If there is a God, and if he has spoken, that his words are of the utmost value. It is the only thing that you can build your life on, your future marriage on, your career, your emotions. It is the only thing that can help you combat anger, Anxiety, identity, confusion, it's the only thing. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have to know it and we have to use it. Let's move on to verses 16 through 20. Excuse me, 18 through 20. Verse 18, chapter 6 in Ephesians. Verse 18 is kind of the middle of a statement, but Paul has a tendency to write long, long, long run-on sentences. Verse 18 says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Back to 18 again. Look how many times he uses the word all. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Again, powered, energized by the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. That prayer here is like the battery that powers this armor. If you move into the sci-fi in the, in the sci-fi world and you have all this armor, but it's it's like a the, the fighting robot, you know, in um, what's that movie? Uh, Pacific Rim, you know. It's like if there's no if there's no power, then it's useless. If it's no power, then it's a statue. It's a statue that everybody looks at and takes a picture of. You know, it's it's that that, that prayer has to be the element that motivates the believer who is both wielding the sword and holding the armor. Without prayer, what you have is you have an armored, armed soldier who is asleep on the battlefield. And the enemy can come up and do away with him very easily. That prayer cannot be absent from our spiritual battle. Again, Albert Barnes says that without prayer, we shall be defeated. Um, how? So this is the armor of God. We've got six pieces. Um, we've got the sword of the Spirit, and we have the importance of prayer. Um, the natural thing for us to do is to fight this battle in a non-spiritual way. That's why Paul is addressing this issue. 
because it, it's hard. It's not easy, and it's not what we naturally do. And I, I think that there are four ways that we have a tendency that we, that we are naturally fighting this battle in non-spiritual ways. Let me, let, this is what resonated with me. Let me see if this resonates with you. Number one, number one way to fight this battle non-spiritually, all right? Armed up with your airsoft pistols, right? Ready to go fight the devil, shooting little plastic pellets that'll hit you and you'll be like, ow, what'd you do that for, jerk? That's not a battle. <laughs> non-spiritual ways to fight spiritual warfare. Number one, try harder. That's how you do it. You know, you have a sin problem, well, stop. You know, you ever heard that before? Some people are like, oh, you're having a hard time with lust? Well, you should stop. <laughs> you know, oh, you're having a hard time with, with gossiping? Well, you, then, you know, you shouldn't gossip. So go, therefore, and live accordingly. That's, that's a non-material or that is a material way to a spiritual problem. It, it, it doesn't make any sense, but we still try it. Number two, we try to solve our problems like worries and frustrations and concerns um, with non-spiritual solutions. Like if we're anxious, we tell ourselves, well, um, don't let it bother you. How many of you have ever been told that? Don't let it bother you. You're like, I'm, I'm struggling with this or I'm frustrated at work or this person is being a jerk to me or I'm not sure what the future holds. Don't let it bother you. What is that? <laughs> what does that mean? And you're just completely discounting a legitimate feeling and emotion that you have in your life. People just say, um, well, just don't think about it. You know, Think about other things. Think about nicer things and don't let it bother you. Number three, we rely on our own reason. We say, you know what? There's a problem in front of me or there's something that I'm anxious about um, or there's uh, something that I'm angry about. So what we do is we analyze it. We use our education. You know, our skills of deductive reasoning. And, uh, and we make a decision that makes the most sense. But if we're not battling in, in a spiritual way, in living a life of prayer, in consulting the word, there's something that, that appears very logical can, can still be incredibly flawed because we're not seeking the, the, the might of the spirit that we've been offered. And then number four, a way that you can fight in a non-spiritual way is pray in very broad, vague, non-defined prayers that say, God, please help me today, um, and I pray for your will to be done. And God is like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, please give me a good day, um, and please help me through the situation, and just, you know, your will be done. You're zapping uh, the power from the battery of prayer. Um, my challenge that I want to throw out to us as a group this week, because this is a lot of content here, is I would like for us to pray specifically that God would show us both our need and how to put on the spiritual armor of God. Because we can have this conversation, and we can read these verses, and we can make all the connections. Um, but this is hard to really apply on Monday, I believe. You know, because Monday is just a, another normal day. It may or may not bring you frustrations. But it, it's, it's hard to make this a reality in, in the truest sense of, of the spiritual warfare that's going on. Especially <laughs> if there are not major things that are bothering you in your life right now. Or if you look at your life and you say, well, things are going pretty well. 
Maybe now is the time that you need to tighten that belt. Make sure that there aren't small holes in the breastplate of righteousness in your life. And I'm not sure how we do that without going and seeking, pray, praying, and saying, God, show me both my need and how to actually put this on. How, what does this look like in my life? So number one, praying that prayer. And number two, taking a piece of this armor and spending time this week thinking, praying, and meditating, looking for, for supporting scripture of what does this one piece mean? This is what I'm, I'm, I'm challenging us to do. This is what I'd like for you to do. To take something like the breastplate of righteousness or the belt of truth or feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace or, or, or the shield of faith, one of those things, and look at it in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, one, two, three days this week, uh, maybe even for your quiet time, and say, what does this really look like in my life? And God, help me to figure that out. Not by myself, but show me what this means and how this can apply. I think if we're not doing that, and this will be another little lesson that Danny has taught in the young adult ministry, and this is another little text that we look at, and we say, well, that's awesome. Let's go to here, Buster, and have lunch, you know? So that's my challenge, is that we will pray, God, show me my need for the armor and how to put this on, and then to take one piece and look at it, meditate on it, find supporting scripture, what does this look like and how does this apply to my life? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have not left us alone to just uh, wander um, and come up with good ideas and how to fight off the devil's schemes. But Father, you have outlined and laid uh, solid, concrete, foundational truths for us to build our life on, for us to stand firm on, for us to armor ourselves beyond penetration, and for us to be able to attack for victory. And may we put this armor on, and that may, may you show us what and how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.